Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining today's conference call. I'm Elizabeth Kerr from Business Board, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. Today, we'll be talking about what's next for healthcare policy in the United States and what that could mean for businesses. After pulling legislation to repeal the Affordable Care Act, the White House and GOP leadership in Congress have indicated that they plan to focus on other policy priorities, but the administration can still change how the ACA is administered and enforced. And after there were reports this morning that Vice President Pence has been meeting with Republican lawmakers to discuss healthcare reform. So here to talk with us today about these developments and how they might affect the health insurance small business and, uh, excuse me, small companies and business owners purchase is David Kendall. He's the Senior Fellow for Health and Fiscal Policy at the Centrist Think Tank Third Way. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders across the country. And at these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues affecting their businesses and how Washington can work with the business community to accelerate our economy. To date, more than 550 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors have participated in our programming. And this is all thanks to the support of more than 60 of America's largest and most respected companies. Before we get started, I need to cover a few housekeeping items. First, this call is on the record and reporters may be present, uh, but also that means that we will be able to send a recording out after the call. Uh, finally, this is an interactive phone briefing, so there will be time for you to ask questions and share your advice. You can do this in one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time on your telephone keypad to, keypad to ask your question live, or you can email us your question to info at businessfwd.org. And when we call on you to ask a question live, please introduce yourself with your business and where you're calling from. If you email that question, please include that information in your email to us. So again, if you'd like to ask a question, you can press 1 on your telephone keypad, and we can call on you to ask that question live. Or you can email us your question at info at businessfwd.org, and we'll just add it into the queue. Uh, with that, let's get started. Please welcome David Kendall from Third Way. Thank you, uh, Elizabeth. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning. Good afternoon to everybody on the East Coast, and good morning to uh, everyone uh, elsewhere. Um, I thought I'd start off by um, sort of inviting any uh, questions you might have as we kind of go through this. Uh, by sending an email, if there's something I say that's uh, too wonky or too uh, uh, confusing, just please feel free to send an email and we can address those uh, questions right up front. Um, a little bit about myself and Third Way. Um, when I was a young congressional staffer on Capitol Hill in the um, early 80s and early 90s, I had a role in assembling a major health care reform proposal um, which had the biggest bipartisan support ever. It was called the Managed Competition Act, and it was introduced in 1992. And the history of that bill has had lots of ups and downs, um, which I've lived through personally. And I, I just thought I'd take a second to kind of recount that history uh, because it helps uh, understand where we're, what we're dealing with today. In the 1990s, uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton used the managed competition idea to advance their form of health care reform. And, uh, but they added a little too much government uh, regulation into the mix, and it became a poison pill for moderate Democrats and subsequently failed. Then in 2002, the uh, Republicans used the same kind of 
rough framework for their work on Medicare Part D for prescription drug coverage. What they created was a choice of health care plans uh, for getting your prescription drug coverage if you're on Medicare. So that was one of the successes. Um, and then this idea kind of eventually turned into Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, what he, the Obamacare proposal called health insurance exchanges, we had called them health plan purchasing cooperatives. Uh, we also uh, had a similar name for qualified health plans. We had, a, I think, a better name. We called them uh, accountable health plans. But the, so the terms have changed over the years, but the ideas are roughly the same. Um, giving people who don't have job-based coverage an opportunity to buy coverage um, through a, a system of competing private health care plans uh, with subsidies to make those cover that coverage affordable. So what Third Way does in all this is we try to advance um, uh, centrist ideas uh, that aim to answer America's problems with, uh, with modern ideas. And the Affordable Care Act was one that we uh, strongly supported and uh, believe today that uh, it's, uh, it's a solid piece of legislation that's in need of repair, not repeal. Um, so I'm hoping that as we go through this this morning uh, and or this afternoon, depending where you're at, um, you'll have a sense for how the repeal debate has really stopped, um, you know, the efforts to repair the ACA. Um, and I will take a moment also just to, for personal gratification, that after all these years of working on this issue, it, uh, for now at least, uh, given the Republicans' failed efforts to repeal it uh, so far, um, uh, it, my, my life's work is safe for now. Um, if you do have any problems, though, with the ACA, you can, you, I'm certainly happy to take the blame. Um, what I'd like to go through this morning is just three things. One is the, um, what, we don't, what we know about the debate, what we don't know about the debate, and then finally, what Congre Congress and the administration are likely to do. Um, we actually don't know much. Uh, as uh, Elizabeth mentioned, um, the Republicans are still trying to put together some kind of deal, uh, but it's not going to happen this week. Uh, the, the speaker announced this morning that um, they only have a conceptual um, framework for what they're doing. They're nowhere close to getting uh, uh, actual concrete details worked out. So this could still move forward, um, and we don't know when or how. What we also don't know is what is likely to occur in the marketplace. And so let me talk, break those two unknowns down into a, a little more detail so that we can help us figure out what's likely to happen. Um, the one thing we uh, don't know about the politics is, you know, how strong do the, uh, does the split between the Freedom Caucus on the far right and the moderate Republicans go? Is, is it possible to square the two corners? So far, anything that the Republicans have done to make the Freedom Caucus happy has, has in turn made the uh, moderate Republicans unhappy. So it's really hard to see how that's going to come together, but it's still possible. Um, another uh, you know, really big problem for them is that if, even if they were able to get something through on the House side, getting something done on the Senate side is even more complicated. Um, as you probably have heard, there's this complex rule called reconciliation, which severely limits what the um, Republicans can do uh, using this procedural method to avoid having to get uh, Democrat votes 
um, uh, which is necessary to uh, normally pass legislation. The, uh, just as one example of the complexity here, if you think it's easy for them to just deal, make a deal on, uh, between the Freedom Caucus and the moderate Republicans, um, the abortion issue could completely take this out of um, whack. Uh, what would happen if the Republican bill, as it was um, introduced um, on the House side, if that were to move over to the Senate side, it is likely that the provisions that prevent public funding for abortion, uh, it would li it's likely that they would be stripped out. That would mean that Republicans would be having to vote for a bill that would give public funding for, for abortions. And that alone could just kill the entire effort. So they do have some major uphill battles to go through. Um, then the other unknown that we face is uh, what's going to happen in the marketplace. Um, the health plans uh, are now deciding whether to participate in the 2018 plan year. Um, they have start deciding um, uh, this month, and th those decisions will uh, trickle out uh, for the next several months. So it will be about three months we'll know for pretty well what the plan year looks like for 2018. If there are areas of the country that do not have plans participating in the exchanges, uh, then we're going to see a, a big uh, crisis and the Congress will be forced to try to take some action. Um, if the, everything goes smoothly, which is not very likely, um, then, uh, then there will be less pressure for Congress to act. The uh, other big um, unknown as a result of the marketplace changes is, is the extent to which pricing will be a problem as well. Um, you, we could have plans offer their uh, coverage, but if the prices are, are going uh, too high, then that's going to be also be pressure for Congress to act. So there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns, um, but what's, what is clear is that uh, as long as Republicans continue to push for broad-based repeal, they're going to be not talking to what the public wants, which is you know immediate action on, on, on fixing the ACA and getting coverage that's affordable and available to people right now. Um, so the, the point is that the marketplace is more likely to drive the politics than, than anything else. And that's what we're going to need to look for um, in what the administration and Congress will do. So the administration has the ability right now to, to basically end the ACA immediately. Um, they could do this by eliminating the cost sharing uh, re subsidy re uh, reduction, cost sharing reduction subsidies, which are an integral part of having coverage for low to moderate income families. Uh, so a family learning up to say two and a half times the poverty level receives these cost sharing subsidies to offset the, the higher deductibles that are in the exchanges. But here's the problem: if because there's been a lawsuit filed over whether Congress actually gave administration the authority to do those cost-sharing subsidies, um, the, the administration could end those payments right away. If those payments were ended right away, then the insurers would, ha would have every reason to pull out of the insurance marketplaces, and they could, some of them could even do that contractually uh, immediately um, if that happened. So the best guess is that's not going to happen because if the administration is trying to avoid looking like they should be blamed for, uh, you know, hurting the uh, health care for Americans, then they will probably go for more um, 
less obvious uh, uh, ways of, of undermining the ACA if, in fact, that's their goal. So that's sort of the nightmare scenario, and, they, and as a part of the nightmare scenario, they could also uh, decide not to enforce the individual mandate, which is a requirement that people buy the coverage uh, uh, before they get sick and need it. Um, if they decide, if the administration decided not to enforce the, uh, the individual mandate, then uh, that too could also uh, unravel the insurance marketplaces and cause insurers to, to lose coverage. So you probably should be thankful right now that you're not a health care uh, executive that has to decide whether to participate in the exchanges this year because you would be facing a lot of uncertainty with your, with your business. Um, so the, with that, the administration's, uh, you, instead of a nightmare scenario, you could also imagine a scenario where administration takes positive actions to reinforce uh, uh, what is good about the marketplace and try to fix the problems. Uh, later this week, there's a, a rule, or maybe next week, there's a rule expected out, uh, a final version of the market stabilization rule that would clean up a lot of the problems that the ACA has had with things like special enrollment periods and, and other problems that have caused um, in, insurers to lose money and not want to participate in the exchanges. So if they, uh, if they're, if they decide to, to be constructive then, um, and, and fix the ACA, then, there's, then that rule would be a sign that they're, that they're being serious about that. So let me last then turn to the um, idea of what Democrats can do in response to all this as the Republicans are trying to <coughs> uh, uh, get their act together. Um, it's really an opportunity now for Democrats to step up and say, all right, here are the concrete ways we think we should fix the ACA and, and, and do so without repealing it. And I think that the Democrats should focus on, on three areas. Uh, the first is uh, eliminating premium spikes. The second is to give people more protection from high deductibles. And the third is to increase the number of plants participating in the exchanges. Um, just to give you a sense for how that, those three issues could be solved, um, they can be solved actually using Republican ideas. One of the areas that I think everyone agrees on is that we should use more reinsurance uh, in the um, uh, insurance marketplaces. What reinsurance is is a, is a way for, to cover the losses that health plans have from very expensive healthcare cases and, and which it makes it hard for them to, to price their product accordingly. Um, so if we had a, a, a broad-based reinsurance program, um, that would actually reduce uh, premiums uh, by anywhere from 4 to 7% according to the American Academy of Actuaries, and it would help um, uh, ensure that more our, uh, health plans participate in the exchanges. So with concrete solutions and, and repairs to the ACA instead of repealing it, um, we actually conceivably, uh, on an optimistic note, uh, uh, I will say that could, we could see a more stable marketplace um, coming out of this messy politics that we're experiencing this year. But there are still lots of um, uh, unknowns, and as Donald Rumsfeld said, we haven't even covered the unknown unknowns, uh, which are also worth considering. Um, who knows what tweet will uh, catch uh, uh, Donald uh, Trump's ear or what ideas might uh, radically change the debate. Uh, you just never know in this, especially under this current administration. So with that, let me uh, turn it open for questions and, and uh, hopefully I uh, gave you some sense of how this might come about, but I'm, I'm also interested in you know, any specific questions about how, this, how you see this affecting your business um, and your employees as you try to make sure that they have good health care coverage.
Uh, great, thank you. Uh, just a reminder to everybody on the phone, if you'd like to ask a question, you can either press 1 on your telephone keypad and we'll call on you to ask your question live, or feel free to email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org, and I'll read that question aloud. Uh, we're going to start with an emailed question while uh, folks are still pressing 1. That question comes from Indra Klein, she's a development consultant, and her question is, Given the current climate in politics and also public thinking to some degree, what suggestions can you provide to small businesses, uh, most of whom have limited resources, to become more engaged um, on the issue? And also she, and she had another question, large companies have the ability to negotiate costs for their insurance because of volume. Um, and small businesses don't necessarily have that ability. Will access to, and this isn't necessarily, this is uh, from another question that we got from somebody else, um, will access to the shop marketplace change? Do we anticipate if the um, administration undertakes some of the issues that you, uh, undertake some of the actions that you mentioned earlier? Great, yeah, good questions. Um, let me uh, split it into two parts. One is the engagement, uh, how to engage in, in the politics of this issue, and the second is how to get um, good, uh, good deals for your, um, for your business either through the shop exchange or elsewhere. Um, I think the best way to engage on this issue is to call your local uh, senator's office or your local congressman's office and just talk to the person on the end of the, end of the line and tell them your problems and, and what you are worried about. And I think if they hear from more people who are concerned about this issue, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, um, that, is, that is a good thing. Um, so so I, that's, that, it's really simple, um, and, and I highly recommend calling the local office because they generally are easier to get a hold of um, than calling into the Washington, D.C. office. And I also recommend calling rather than sending an email. Um, because you, you, they have to deal with you as a person when, they, when you call them up, and, and that's something that um, makes it more real for them and, and, and for their offices as they try to sort through, this, sort through these issues. But I think that just showing uh, that you're concerned and that you have you know, um, worries about how this debate is going to affect your business and your employees, um, that is you know, really key. Um, in terms of the shop exchange, I think, um, so far that the shop exchange is not high up on the list of, of targets to, to either reform or, or fix or, or, um, or, or uh, repeal because um, it, it, it's, it's serving a, a good function um, and it uh, has a, a limited but, but important set of businesses in favor of it. So I think it's safe for the moment, as safe as anything is. Um, there are certainly lots of other ideas about how to get uh, smaller businesses the opportunity to, to get better deals. Um, one of the areas that we're looking at is how do you create more opportunities for businesses and, and individuals to shop for coverage. Um, right now, you can only go through the um, healthcare.gov website. Well, why can't shopping for healthcare be as common at places as, as shopping, you know, on Amazon.com? I mean, you know, it's why can't we have multiple ways of getting coverage uh, purchased and, and people enrolled in, in, in health plans? Um, there are private health insurance exchanges, called, like for instance eHealth Insurance, um, that help you get a better deal and help you, you know, sort of sort out all the information. 
but they're kind of limited in how they can do business because they're, they're tied at the hip to the um, uh, public uh, uh, health care marketplaces, health insurance exchanges. Uh, and, and there's a complicated um, relationship there, but the, the, suffice it to say, with a little less um, uh, sort of you know, top-down regulation and a little more um, sort of cooperative work between private exchanges and public exchanges, we could have a, a robust marketplace uh, that resembles uh, something that, that, you know, it's a, more like your phone. When you buy a, a, a cell phone these days, you don't just have to go through your carrier to buy them. You can get them through Apple's website. You can go to Best Buy. There's lots of different ways of buying your phone. So we should, you know, try to have the same kind of robust marketplace for health insurance as, as much as possible um, uh, going forward. And that would help your businesses get better deals, I think. A quick follow-up to that question before we move on to a couple live questions. Uh, this is an email from Jim Henderson. Do you see the 50 full-time employee threshold for the shop changing? No. Um, and I only say that because, again, it's kind of a lower tier issue. And um, I, 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 that may be something that we could, if we could get, um, we could get changes to that if we could get a larger dynamic going of bipartisan cooperation and actually repairing the ACA instead of repealing it. Great, thanks. Um, we have a, live, a couple live questions now. When I call on you, please remember to introduce yourself with your business and where you're calling from. Rob Wilkening, Rob, your line should be open. Go ahead. Yes, can you hear me? We sure can. Go ahead. That's great. My name is Rob Wilkening. I'm with the East-West International Education Foundation. And my question for you is this. With nearly one-third of the country on a national health care plan called Medicare, why can't the rest of the two-thirds of the country be on Medicare based on income? And why have to great reinvent question. the wheel? Great question, Rob. Um, yeah, uh, I think, yeah there, there, I think there's two parts of that, uh, uh, the answer to that. Um, you know, the first is that I think people, um, when they pay into Medicare, they feel like that's, that's their plan. So, so if we're going to do anything that sort of uh, were to change Medicare, we'd have to really address the um, people who are uh, already on Medicare to make sure that they felt that they were, that was, you know, not a threat to them. But, but the second point is, like, it's really difficult to, um, to, to, to introduce a, a public um, uh, plan into the private marketplace without a whole bunch of, of, of possible, you know, uh, conflicts. Um, and, and so, like, one of the areas that, that the hospitals and, and doctors are very concerned about is, is, the, is having the flexibility of, in payments um, that uh, uh, they get with the private sector as opposed to Medicare. Um, now you can judge that you know in any way you'd like, but that is uh, whether you whether you agree with the doctors and hospitals or not, that is if they, they present a formidable um, uh, uh, you know set of um, opposition to to you know extending Medicare uh, coverage to everyone. Um, so you, you'd have to deal with that on on the on the uh, other side of the coin. So the the idea of having co coverage that people can buy into. Um, with a tax uh, credit or, or subsidy um, was the, and remains sort of the path of least resistance for getting uh, all Americans health care coverage. 
and, and that's why we ended up with the ACA and not a Medicare buy-in. You know, certainly, uh, you know, that's not something that anyone should take off the table in the long run, but in the short run, it, you know, we're, we're dealing, in the medium run, really, we're dealing with a situation where what we have with the ACA is the most politically viable way to get, get coverage for everyone done. Uh, great. Our in, next in question. My, in, 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 oh, in go my ahead. humble opinion. <laughs> Sorry, in my humble, humble opinion. Well, we value your get you on the call today, so uh, you probably got a better read on this than most of us. Our next question is from Laura Dawson. Laura, your line's open. Hello. Can you hear me all right? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Good. I'm Laura Dawson. I'm in North Carolina. Our company is Food Physics and Body Dynamics. We are a rural healthcare provider. So we've been significantly impacted by all of the issues that have come the healthcare insurance market. And in fact, I participated in the drafting of the initial setup and the electronic health records, et cetera. And of course, that all those were well-intentioned until they hit the marketplace. And so you, Mr. Kendall, are doing an excellent job at digging your way through all of the things that weren't covered efficiently. And so I think it's really helpful to, to recognize that we still have the Affordable Care Act and that we need to work from there. I'm just not quite sure how it's going to work because it's so fractioned right now. And the auditory um, receptors aren't out there by Congress or any of the people that are really making the decisions on it. And I'm really concerned about that. I think that you have some great ideas, the three issues that you address. But personally, as a recipient of Medicare benefits at this point in my life, I couldn't even get a flu shot because they had the records so scattered. So there's just a lot of tweaking that needs to happen on it. Some dust, I think, needs to be settled just a bit before we make major changes. Would you not say that that may be the case? Yes, I agree 100%. We, we, uh, we need to have um, some recognition that, that even if you're opposed to the ACA, that you need to take some responsibility for fixing the immediate problems that people are facing um, and, and not pursue endlessly uh, sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, another system. Um, and so I think that could come this year. I mean, it's not clear yet how that would come about, but, but you know, it's possible. And I think it's more than just sort of like, well, anything's possible. I think it's, I think it's, um, it's, it's, you know, upwards of 50% chance because sooner or later the, the Trump administration and Republicans will recognize that part of their, um, re-election will determine, will be determined by how much, uh, they do to help fix the problems, not just, you know, try to, re, re, you know, avoid them. So there is that to be hopeful for. Um, and I, I think you write, you raised an excellent point about the rural healthcare providers. They, um, and rural healthcare right now is actually even more at risk, um, uh, than, than ever before, and, and it's certainly always been a problem because it's just hard to make the business work in, in a rural areas with fewer, fewer people and, and less coverage. So the, the, the ACA didn't do enough uh, to support rural health care, and, and in fact, in some cases, it made the problems worse. worse. And then and then also because some states are um, hadn't expanded Medicaid, uh, that has also made the problems a lot worse. So you've got 
states where they, they haven't, they haven't, states have not expanded Medicaid, um, and those a lot of rural hospitals have been a lot more rural hospitals have been closing in those states than states that have uh, been um, expanding Medicaid. The good news there is that you know states that had previously not expanded Medicaid are now looking at doing that. And we came close in Kansas um, recently. Um, uh, Virginia is going to look at this again. You know, sooner or later, people are going to go. Well, if this is the ACA is the law of the land for the foreseeable future, as, as Speaker Paul Ryan has said, then you know we maybe need to take advantage of the opportunities now rather than waiting forever for some other better system. So it's you know we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a bit of a you know, right. We have to wait, uh, to, but we can't we can't just be patient forever. Uh, this is a question from Charlotte Westbrook from Dallas, and you mentioned in your remarks that uh, the administration could eliminate the health care, the subsidies available to help people purchase health care insurance on the exchange. Um, are, and she's asking, are the marketplaces actually imploding, as the president suggests, or would action from the administration be necessary to actually force them to collapse? Um, great question. Um, there, I think it's a mixed bag. I mean, in, in most areas of the country, um, you know, we, we had a we had significant increases last year, or going in, into the 2017 enrollment year, um, but they weren't calamitous. I mean, they were, uh, for the most part, you know, manageable, and, and for the most part, people are protected from big premium spikes because uh, of, uh, of the subsidies that they receive through the exchanges. Um, that, that, however, people who um, don't receive those subsidies, who are um, uh, have incomes that are four times the poverty rate or higher, they're the ones who are getting hit hard by the premium increases. So, in, in places like Arizona, where you has had did have very significant cost increases, and in other states are about, I think it's about six or seven states had um, premium increases of, of over 50 percent, which is very serious. Um, those you know, lots of people in those areas uh, do need Im immediate relief from those high premium increases, and we want to prevent them from going forward. So those that this area, these, this kind of problem, the premium spikes, it falls into this category of like we can do things now to prevent these problems from occurring and make them better for make the problems easier on people um, with things like reinsurance. Um, but that's going to require some roads. You know, Two things. One is some bipartisan cooperation, and secondly, is is for the Republicans to give less attention to repeal and more to repair. So, uh, so I, I think if if uh, you know, like any major piece of legislation, it, it it needs preventive maintenance. If you don't maintain your car and replace your engine oil every now and then, you, your your engine is going to wear out a lot faster. And and that's you know essentially what we need to do with with the Affordable Care Act. It just needs some preventive maintenance to, to make it uh, work for everybody. Great, thanks. As a reminder to everyone, if you'd like to ask a question live, just press 1 on your telephone keypad. We appreciate all the emailed questions, but I just wanted to remind you, if you'd like to ask a question live, press 1 on your keypad and I'll call on you. Uh, the next question is from Barbara McMahon in Baton Rouge. And she says, are there any cases making their way to the Supreme Court relative to the ACA and healthcare, and how might any of those be affected if Neil Gorsuch is confirmed? Yeah, great question. I think most of the major pieces of of, of, of uh, lawsuits and, and court actions have have um, uh, sort of started in the court system, and, and I mean, kind of, and work largely worked their way through. So I don't see any 
major threats um, or major changes that could come about as a result of court cases um, that would go to the Supreme Court. But there are, um, but there are some out there still that would affect the um, uh, could affect the, the ACA and, and healthcare for everyone. Um, uh, I, I think that um, there's there's probably really good sources out there that kind of delineate all the possible actions out there. But the one thing that I think everyone's been watching most closely has been the um, the uh, lawsuit from the uh, House Republicans uh, over this this issue of whether uh, the administration has the authority to give people cost sharing subsidies. Um, and and that you know maybe something that they want to pursue uh, just to make the point that well we got you know that maybe their you know administration overstepped um, uh, maybe the administration overstepped uh, uh, their authority and and Congress wants to slap the um, executive branch back a little bit um, but it's that kind of debate that will probably work its way through the courts not sort of the major questions of whether or not the individual mandate is, is constitutional and that sort of thing. Thanks. We have a live question now from Rui Zhang. Rui, your line should be open. Hey, good afternoon. I have a quick question. I'm wondering what will the role and impact of CMS Innovation Center be under the current administration? Great. Yeah. So, by a way of a little background for folks who are not uh, familiar with that, um, the Affordable Care Act set up this um, office in, at the uh, Department of Health and Human Services called the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Um, for many years, people have complained about the lack of innovation coming out in Medicare's regulations, and so this was an attempt to really help push the envelope to, uh, to new methods of paying for health care, new ways of engaging patients in, in, uh, in coordinating their care and, and, and taking responsibility for their health. Um, a whole bunch of experiments uh, were funded um, through the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Um, so it, it was a very bipartisan idea, um, and it was going pretty well until one role in particular that the, the CMMI uh, pursued having to do with the way we pay for drugs in the Medicare Part B program, which is for like drugs that are you take and uh, get in the hospital, um, and and that caused a huge controversy, unfortunately, and um, that has polarized the the program, um, uh, people supporting it or opposing it as a result. So I think that uh, since the that CMMI has backed off of that proposal. Um, it's, it's, there's a chance that the, the controversy around um, the uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation will uh, die down um, and they'll be okay. So, so the other important point here is that you know, both parties agree. The one thing that we all, everyone agrees on in healthcare policy is that um, paying for healthcare based on a fee-for-service system where you pay for every service that a, um, a, a physician uh, does tends to drive up costs because uh, the more they do, the more they earn. Um, instead, there's a, a bipartisan consensus to move in the direction of paying for value. So you pay for the outcome that you get rather than for the actual number of services. Um, and for example, um, the idea would be to pay for uh, a whole knee replacement rather than for the individual parts. That way there's accountability for the total costs by the uh, doctor 
in hospital where the surgery is done rather than having each of those parts be built separately. So that's a, that's a big idea that's still being pursued um, through CMMI and, um, and through legislation that it got bipartisan support. And all that is, is intricately interconnected. And in order to get the big ideas of how to change the payment for healthcare done, you kind of need the CMMI program to help um, do those experiments and, and work out the, the details of how the, how the new ideas might work. So, I'm optimistic about uh, CMMI uh, surviving this, this, this couple of years. Uh, great, thanks. Uh, we've got time for a couple more questions. Uh, this question is from John Courtney in Arizona, and he's asking, what happens if all of the insurance companies decide not to participate in, for instance, the exchange or the shop marketplace? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think that's very likely because in most states, the um, uh, the, the uh, you know sort of market the market situation is is not dire, and I, I don't think that we'll see massive pullouts. Um, I, I, there is a risk that there will be some insurers um, pulling out of some areas, um, uh, and then that's where we need to focus our attention. Uh, but to answer your question directly, yeah, if the if all the insurers pulled out, the, there would be um, uh, there'd be no healthcare coverage for, <laughs> for millions of Americans. So uh, that is something that we have to you know generally keep an eye on. But I, I, not that's not something that I would that's not anywhere close to the top of my worries because because there is a clearly is still a business model for insurers to be in the business of selling insurance and, and that'll keep them in the marketplace um, uh, for the foreseeable future as long as we can. Get, or get to solving some of these, these uh, issues that are causing them to, to lose money in, in many cases. So that's a, it's important to make it stable a, 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 as we move forward um, in, in fixing the, uh, uh, the ACA. Perfect. Well, that's reassuring. I think this is going to be our last question. It's a live question from Don Moret. Don, uh, your line's open. Go ahead and introduce yourself with your question and uh, with your business and your question. Hi, hi, David. Uh, this is Don Moret from uh, Lindsay Payne Gibson and Moret LPGM Health, and the uh, the Lindsay in that group is Mark Lindsay from the Clinton administration. You probably remember him. Um, but uh, uh, I just want to tell you that uh, we have uh, actually already been uh, working on what you're talking about in the private sector. And I was wondering if we could have an offline conversation about that because we've we've already figured out a way to turn back the dial on healthcare costs. Great. Well, yes, yeah, so I'd be happy to do that, and, and thank you uh, for getting involved in that issue. There's there's no lack of um, uh, sort of people doing interesting and helpful things, and, and hopefully we can get a political climate that will um, sort of allow those ideas to emerge in, 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 a, in, a, in a fair and serious conversation um, yeah, going forward. So yes, please, um, uh, you can, and anybody, uh, let me just give you my email. If anyone has a um, follow-up question, I can, you can feel free to reach out. Uh, my email address is uh, dkendall, so that would be d-k-e-n-d-a-l-l, at thirdway.org, um, and you can check out our website to kind of give you an idea of what um, we've done in the past uh, uh, on health, helping cost savings and improving patient care, uh, as well as our work on, on opposing the ACA repeal. 
Great, and we can facilitate any follow-up if uh, folks need help with that, uh, either with you or, um, as a question was asked earlier, contacting your members of Congress. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you, David, for your time and to all of you for joining us with your, with your questions. Please check your email for a recording of today's call. And we hope you can join us next Wednesday for a conference call on how American businesses are affected by cyber espionage. Congressman Jim Himes is the ranking member of the NSA and Cybersecurity Subcommittee of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and he'll discuss cybersecurity policies and the possible effects of nation-state cyber attacks on American businesses. So again, thank you to David Kendall with Third Way, and to all of you for joining the call. We look forward to working with you again soon. Have a great afternoon.